So let's read together 1 Timothy 4, starting at verse 6. This is God's word. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive, because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the saviour of all people, especially of those who believe. Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. So discipleship is the topic of today's talk. And this is number eight in our series of nine. So next week is actually the last mark of a healthy church. Uh, This is number eight out of nine. And the mark of a healthy church is discipleship. Um, so we're going we're gonna to think, uh, just as we've been doing over the last few months in this sort of, um, in this sort of uh, um, basic structure, uh, we're going to ask the question, what is discipleship, number one? We're going to then think, number two, about why we should do discipleship. And number three, we're going to ask ourselves, how are we to do discipleship? What is discipleship? Why should we do it? And how are we supposed to go around doing it? And the whole purpose of this talk, as, as the other ones have been in the series so far, is to try and lay out the big picture of uh, how we are seeking to build the local church using the tools that God has given us through the Bible to understand what a healthy local church should look like. Once we have that picture in our minds and get that language together um, as, a, as a community of people, then we set to work on uh, living these things out. So this is very much another one of those sort of shop front uh, talks tonight, if you like, just to try and uh, establish the groundwork before we sort of progress on from these early days as a church. So what is discipleship, first of all? I've come up with a, it's not exactly a very pithy uh, um, explanation of what discipleship is, but this is roughly what I think discipleship is. Discipleship is the continual process of Christian growth. The continual process of Christian growth, it is increasing conformity to God's ways for our life, becoming more like Christ as a result. So discipleship is a continual process of Christian growth, increasingly conforming or coming under God's ways for our lives, becoming more like Christ as a result. That's what discipleship is. And if you were with us last week, uh, um, you you might remember that I used this uh, metaphor of a tree to try and get some language and some understanding around what what we're talking about with all this stuff, with the nine marks of a healthy church. And we remember we said that... uh, the, the gospel, the good news of Jesus and his life and his death and his resurrection, his ascension, and all that means to us and to his people, that, that is like the seed uh, that goes into the ground. And that seed is, uh, we hope and pray, is received by faith and with repentance. And we are therefore converted. We go from spiritual death to spiritual life. 
uh, from being enemies of God to being friends, more so to being sons and daughters of, 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 of God. That's conversion. And the seed therefore grows, it starts to sprout, it starts to put out roots. And at that point, there's new life, there's germination, you know, it's, 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 there's, a, there's, a, there's change, there's something happening. And we know uh, from our biblical theology that change, that internal transformation comes about by the, the work of the Holy Spirit in our, in our lives. And so that's, that's all about conversion. That's the fourth mark of a, a healthy church. But that seed uh, doesn't just sit on the table s- surface and, 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 and you know, sprout and, that, and that's it. The seed goes into the ground and it goes into the soil of the local church. And that was the sixth mark of a healthy church, you know, going into the soil putting down the roots. And, and, we, and we said a few weeks ago that, that when you become a Christian, uh, when you go from death to life and all that stuff, uh, two things change. The context of your life changes. Remember that? And that's, that's the context of the local church. And the character of your life changes as well. And we spent the last couple of weeks looking at the context, you know, local church membership and church discipline. But now we're focusing on that second half, the other change that happens when you become a Christian, which is the character you know, uh, who you are, what you are, changes radically when you become a Christian. And that's what today's talk is all about, discipleship. You go from being a, a sapling in Christ, a young tree, and the purpose of your life is to grow into a mighty tree, a mighty oak. You go from something that's easily bent, easily influenced by the prevailing uh, scenario of life to something over time, that is solid, that has great roots, that is able to withstand great storms, that is resilient and resplendent and fruitful. If you, if you transfer that to your life, that's what discipleship is all about. So it's a continual process of Christian growth. Jesus himself describes discipleship. Um, he said to me, he said to me, he said to us, he says to me as well, uh, Matthew, Matthew 11, uh, Take my yoke upon you, he says to his disciples. Take my yoke, that is my, my teaching, my, my expectations. Take that upon you and learn from me. For my yoke, he says, is easy and my burden is light. That's how Jesus understands discipleship, the expectation that he has from those who come to him in faith. The Apostle Paul gives us a, a stirring vision of discipleship becoming more like Christ. The Apostle Paul says in, in 2 Corinthians 3 that the more uh, we, we, we look at Christ, the more we stare at him as he is presented to us in the gospel, the more we study him and behold him, he says that we are being therefore, when we do that, transformed into that same image of Jesus Christ. We're being transformed into that same image from one degree of glory to another. That's discipleship according to the Apostle Paul. And it's glorious and it's wonderful and it's based on Jesus. And it's becoming more like him, being transformed into that image. You may ask yourself, well, why, why do we need to be transformed into that image? I thought we're saved, aren't we? Isn't that what happens when we become a Christian and our, our lives are transformed? Isn't that enough? Aren't we good with God already? What's wrong with my image? We could ask ourselves. The answer is complicated. Um, Yes, you're right. When you come to faith in Christ, you receive the blessing of his life and his death and his resurrection to you. You are justified. We looked at that a few weeks ago. In the eyes of God, you're right with him forever. An eternal uh, 
Transformation has taken place. And yet, as we saw last week and the week before, you're just a sapling in Christ. You're just a tiny seed that's starting to grow. You're not that mighty oak yet. You're still easily bent and influenced and stuff from the prevailing society and culture and the sin in your life and all that stuff. So you're not the finished article. Your image is still not perfect. This is where biblical theology comes in handy and again a second mark of the healthy church. By the way, you know, every time we come up to these marks of a healthy church, I'm not going to stop at every sermon and say, oh, by the way, that was number two or that's number six. Um, but just, just helps us to consolidate um, for this series. That's why I'm doing this, by the way. So, yeah, biblical theology helps us to understand why our, what's wrong with our image in order for us to know why we need it transformed, even when we have faith in Christ. Adam and Eve, the first parents, our first, uh, first human parents, were created, as we see in the book of Genesis, in the image of God. And, and that means a lot of things, but at the very least it means they were created to reflect him to the surrounding creation, but they're also created more fundamentally to enjoy relationship with God. That's being in his image. That was unique to them as human beings and no other thing in all of creation, um, all of the created order, had that level of fellowship and that intimacy as an image bearer of God, Adam and Eve. And the idea was that as image bearers, they would bear that image and reflect that image by delighting in God's commands. Uh, out of love for him, they would, they would obey him and live a life according to the way he had for them. But as we read in Genesis 3, they, they didn't do that. They chose their own way. They gave into sin and temptation. They fell from a place of uh, perfection into sin. And as a result, because God cannot look on sin, because the image that he created had been marred, he removed the humans from his presence. He excommunicated them from the community we could say and so all other humankind after Adam and Eve were also born outside of the presence of God if you like we're all living in a state of excommunication we're all distant from God that's what we are defined by Adam because of what he did the image of God is still there but it's just messed up it's dirty and the sin of Adam and the sin that we inherited and the sin that we do is worked out in a million and one different ways. That's why the world is as it is. But biblical, biblical theology also teaches us the gospel. That rather than being defined by the work and, and, and the sin of the first Adam, the second Adam, Jesus Christ, came along, lived perfectly God's requirements. He, he loved God with his heart, soul, mind and strength. Every beat of his heart, every thought of his mind, per perfectly imaging God as it was intended to be. He delighted to obey God, his Father. He obeyed him at every step of the way, even to death on a cross. And we see that in the gospel, because of his death and because of what he did on our behalf, we can be restored back to God the Father. You see, we can either be represented by one Adam or the other. We can either be represented by the first Adam who fell from a place of perfection, or we can be represented by the second Adam who restored us back to the Father. People all over the world, seven billion people, are either defined by the first Adam or the second Adam. And the gospel is that because of the work of Jesus Christ, 
when we put our faith in that, when we trust that that belongs to us, that, that that applies to us, that we are defined by his work on our behalf rather than the work of the first Adam. That's something that we receive by faith. And this comes back to Paul's comments about discipleship. He says that the more you look at Jesus, the second Adam, the more you realize what he did for you, how he succeeded when the first Adam failed, when he obeyed perfectly his heavenly father, even to the point of death where the first Adam disobeyed. When he did that for himself, but for his own glory, but for you, to save you from your sin, when you look at that and you see what he did, Paul says you will be progressively consistently transformed from one degree of glory to another when you delight in what Jesus has done when you dwell on what he has achieved on your part more and more and more deeper and deeper and deeper you will be transformed into that which you look at you want to live for God you will want to please him you want to follow him you want to do his will and in that process you will undergo you'll be transformed from a sapling in christ to that mighty oak that's what discipleship's all about looking at the second adam but you see discipleship as well when we're thinking about what is it all about it's an active process as well it's not something that we could just sit in our armchair and look at christ <coughs> by flicking onto god tv and then looking away at something else as if that's going to achieve what paul and jesus and other New Testament writers are really talking about. Discipleship is an active process. It is a a role that we play. It is something that we do. Um, We are responsible as people who are converted, who uh, have received the good works of Christ by faith. We are responsible to act that out. And that's part of our discipleship process. Last week, we uh, looked at this this phrase, remember from Martin Luther, one of the, the... Uh, key leaders in the protestant reformation he said that human beings uh, when they come to christ by faith they are simul justus et peccator they are at one time sinful and justified they are declared righteous in the eyes of god and yet they still are sinful and they're dealing with that for the whole lives trying to minimize the sin and kick it out and kill it down and try to uh, by the grace of god live out the new identity that we have but it's an active process it's not something that just happens automatically look at our passage today uh, this letter that paul wrote to the young pastor timothy just some of the 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 the, uh, verbs or you know the language that he uses look down at verse seven he says to timothy to train yourself for godliness in verse 10 he talks about toil and striving In verse 13, he talks about devoting yourself. In in verse 15, practice these things. Immerse yourself in them. Verse 16, persist in this. All of these active verbs. You know, Timothy isn't just to sit around and get holy by doing nothing. He's to take himself in hand and apply himself to the work of growing in Christ because of what Christ has done for him. Using the gifts that God gives to us we'll think a bit more about those in a few moments time but discipleship as we said is this continual process of growing to be more like christ based on what he has done for us what is discipleship 
So that's all well and good. Um, that's kind of described, I hope, some of what it means to undergo discipleship. But you might be asking yourself, what, it, what, is it, what is it all about? Why should we do it? Why should we engage in this active training, toiling, striving, devoting? I've got so many things going on in my life right now. I don't have time to do all this stuff. You might think to yourself. <coughs> I'm quite happy to believe in Jesus, but yet I don't want to. I can't simply give time and energy and money and whatever it is to becoming more and more. You know, some Christians are like that. Maybe some Christians have the time to read books and to pray a lot and stuff, but I don't. I have real life. I have work. I have kids. I have a family. I have other commitments. That's just for the super-duper Christians. I'm just happy to uh, be a Christian. I'm just a simple Christian, and that's it. Is that an attitude that uh, the Bible recognizes? Well, let's just look at this question. Why should we do it? And then maybe that'll answer itself. Why should we do discipleship? Because it is a sacrifice. It is something that requires energy and time and practice. Why should we do it? There's two reasons. Two reasons why we should do discipleship. First of all, before Jesus ascended to the right hand of the Father, he, he's died on a cross. On the third day, he rose again. Uh, he, he was seen by his disciples on multiple occasions. Up to 500 disciples at any one time he, he saw. And then it tells us at the end of the, the, the Gospel of Matthew that Jesus gathered his apostles around them gave them a final commission and then ascended uh, ultimately to the right hand of the Father, <coughs> where he is just now. Jesus, in this great commission, the end of Matthew's Gospel, said this. He said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go, he says, listen, and make disciples of all nations. This is how you do it. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey all I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. These are Jesus' last words, you see, before he ascends and his last charge to his apostles and therefore through them to us, to the church. Listen up, he says to them. What I want you to do, your mission, what you're to be about, is this. Make disciples. That is your role. That is your job. That is your function. The church of Jesus Christ is a disciple-making enterprise. That's what we do. We make disciples. Ultimately, that is the definition of evangelism. Jesus didn't say, go and make converts and leave them to it. He said, go and make disciples of all nations. How do you do that? By baptizing them at the beginning of their Christian faith. They belong to the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then you enroll them into the school of Christ. They become students of him, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you to do all that I've commanded you to do so why should we do evangelism well quite simply because it is the command of Christ it is something that we are to do until the end of the age that's why we here at Foundation Church one of our distinctives is that we are missional in practice one of the sort of uh, top shelf um, distinctives that we are going to uh, focus and form ourselves around is that we are missional in practice that means that all we do is shape through this verse these verses from the end of Matthew's gospel that everything we do everything we practice as a church is missional about making disciples whether that's here in the service whether that's what we do out there uh, we are a missional church 
So why should we do it? First of all, because Jesus said the role of the church is to make disciples. That's why discipleship. But there's a second reason, and that's laid out in our passage this evening, why we should do discipleship, <clears throat> why it's important to us. Uh, in this letter, the Paul writes to Timothy. Uh, Timothy has been sent to a city called Ephesus. Uh, he's like a delegate of the apostle Paul. Uh, he's sent there to complete the work, to continue it, to bring some organization, some solidarity, to sort of correct their doctrine, their teaching is a bit skew-if at various points. And so he sends him to Ephesus to act on his behalf, if you like. And look down at verse uh, 7 and 8. Have nothing to do, he says to Timothy, with irreverent silly myths. Don't spend your time, he says, going through all these uh, silly details and these sort of conspiracy theories that people like to come up with. Rather, he says, this is how you spend your time, Timothy, as the pastor of a church, as the leader um, of the church of Ephesus, devote yourself, sorry, rather train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness, becoming more like Christ, is a value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Bodily training has some value. It is good to eat well. It is good to keep in shape. But much more importantly, says Paul to Timothy, is your training in godliness. Because unlike bodily training, unlike physical exercise that has a benefit in this life, training for godliness, godliness has a benefit in this life and the life to come. What you do now, how you spend your time, how you look at Christ, and how you receive the gifts that God gives you has an effect now, but also continues into the future, into the other side, the next life, into eternity. If there's not a thought that maybe scares you a little bit, but also encourages you a lot, let it be from verses 7 and 8 of this passage. God gives the church gifts in order to help them grow, and in order to help them become better disciples of God. And we'll look, we'll look at those in a minute. How we respond to them, how much time and effort and enthusiasm we put into that, has eternal consequences. So there's two reasons why. There's lots of reasons, really, but two main reasons here that we're going to look at why we should do discipleship. Because Jesus commanded his church to be in the job of making disciples. And because of the effects, because, as Paul says, what we do now, how we treat the gifts that God gives us, has an effect in our own lives right now, but also carries on for eternity. If ever there's a good reason to be interested in discipleship, surely it's that. So we thought about the what of discipleship, this continual process of, of growing to be more like Jesus, going from a sapling in Christ to being a mighty oak in Christ, surrounded by other mighty oaks in Christ. That's the local church, by the way. We thought about why we should do it, those two reasons. And thirdly and finally, how are we to go about doing discipleship? And I realize, as I said at the start, this is kind of like a, a start of a 10 type talk. Uh, we're just laying out the principles. And so uh, I'm not going to be able to go into lots and lots of details and practical ways that we're going to work this out as a church. Um, but I'm going to try and ask, answer this question in, in general terms. How are we at Foundation Church going to do discipleship? How will that look for us? 
And as with everything in our, in our practice as a church, we want to make sure it's come from God's Word. So, um, thankfully, in this passage that we just looked at, there are some uh, guidances uh, that, that Paul gives to Timothy and therefore to us about how we do discipleship in the local church. And so, <clears throat> we can think of it around two main headings, around Word and life. Discipleship around Word, discipleship around or in life. And the two aren't mutually exclusive, you know, they're both in communication with one another, both linked, but how do we do discipleship? We do it in word, we do it in life. Down to verse 13, first of all, in word. This is how you are to help people grow in Christ, says Paul to Timothy. Until I come, he says, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. That word translated exhortation means persuasion, incitement, encouragement. Move your people closer to Christ. And you do that with the words, through teaching, through reading scripture, reading these inspired scriptures. That brings us all the way back to our first mark of a healthy church, expository preaching. We saw in week one that all scripture is God-breathed and it is useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness. In short, it's useful For discipleship, it's more than useful, it's essential. And Paul says to Timothy, and therefore for us, make sure that the word is read and explained and taught so that people will grow into Christ more and more. He says this in verse 6, put that before the brothers, that is the, the community of faith, both men and women, brothers and sisters, put that before them. And if you do that, You'll be trained in the words of faith and have good doctrine. You see, in the, in the Bible, uh, as Christians, we have a standard of truth which is way above what we think in our own minds or what we understand truth to be or what society teaches us that truth is and beauty and reality and all that stuff. <clears throat> we have a standard which is higher than all of those things, which is God's word to us in the Bible. And that's why we place such an emphasis here, as, as do other local churches, in expository preaching, going to the Bible <clears throat> and ha- trying to understand it better and then work out how that applies to us as, as the church. But you see, for Timothy, and likewise for us, this isn't some sort of detached and professionalized teaching that someone just shuffles in out of his study, comes to give a sermon or a a lecture on some point of theology and then shuffles back again. But Timothy is to devote himself to this stuff. He's to to practice it, to immerse himself in what he's talking about. So much so that it oozes out of him. All of Scripture is to be discussed, chewed over, addressed, from Genesis through to Revelation. That's why for us at Foundation Church, Sunday gatherings are so important because we get to come together under God's word to hear it read, as we say most weeks, to hear it explained, to sing it, to pray through scripture, to meditate on it, to worship in response to it. That's why there's such an emphasis on gathering together as the people of God. But as you well know, God isn't simply interested with one day per week, as important as that is. 
He's interested in all of our lives. We read in Acts chapter 2, and we saw this a few weeks ago again, the day-to-day, every day, the early believers gathered together. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching, gathering every day in the temple, praising God and praying. And so our discipleship, using the Word of God, isn't just coming every Sunday when you listen to me or someone else preach from the Bible, but it comes from every time you engage with the Word of God in the Bible through your personal reading, through your reflection, which is just as important as reading, by the way, Um, your reflection on what you've read, your praying back to God based on what you've read, your reading together as a family, as a, a husband and wife if you happen to be married or if you've got kids, your teaching of the Bible to your kids is all part of discipleship. It's helping one another grow based on the Word of God. It is when you gather together, even informally in one another's houses, talking together about what you're reading, encouraging one another about what you're reading, challenging one another about what you're reading. What has God said to you recently through the Word? You can ask one another. What are you reading at the moment? What can you recommend me to read? These are are multiple ways that we as a church community based on the gospel, are going to be discipled by the word. Whether it's gathered or scattered, formally or informally, it's based on what God says to us. It starts there. How are we to do discipleship? Number one, with the word, under the word, with the word, through the word, all that stuff. But the word is only part of it. Because life flows from the word. It's not just instruction, but it's imitation. It is living the life that is driven by these great truths that we sing and teach and talk about. It is, uh, if, if you like, the embodied illustration to the sermon. It is the godly life that flows from the sound doctrine. You can't have one without the other. You can't have a good life that honors God without the word. You can't have the word without a good life. Otherwise, there's something wrong with your hearing or your heart. See, multiple times in this passage, Timothy is exhorted, he's encouraged to live out in holiness. It says in verse 12, set the brothers, sorry, the believers, an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Paul fully expects that Timothy isn't just some kind of preacher of the scriptures, but he is someone who lives his life among the people and is able to show by example how someone should live in accordance with God's word. Look down at verse 15. Practice these things, immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Your growth in terms of the fruit that you are producing in your life should be visible to other people in the gospel community, in the local church. So that all may see your progress. Sometimes we recoil at the thought of that, that other people seeing how well we're doing in the eyes of God, or rather, you know, the progress that we're making in growth and, and, and maturity and health and all that sort of stuff. But the point is that healthy things grow. It is natural for trees to produce fruits. Do not be ashamed of that or think it's somehow flashy or arrogant. I'm not saying Instagram every single quiet time that you have and show people how godly you are. Or just tweet about how, how many hours you spent in prayer and how, how God really met you. You can do that if you want, but that's not really what I'm talking about here. What I'm saying is that believers who are growing in Christ, one another, in the gospel community, will not be able to not show that they are growing. 
Whether you choose to Instagram your holiness, I don't advise you do, quite honestly, or whether you just simply live your life to the glory of God, you will show fruit if you are growing in Christ. If you are not showing fruit, then it's time to strip it back and ask yourself why. Where are your roots? But it is normal to expect fruit. Different seasons, summer, winter, spring, I get that. But healthy things grow. And Paul expects Timothy to demonstrate holiness in front of his people. Elsewhere, the apostle Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Paul is not saying here that he is completely holy and has stopped sinning altogether and is pretty much Jesus in their midst. That is not what he is saying. But Paul is saying that he is striving after Christ. So if you want to look at a life that is surrendered to Jesus, that is built on him, that is growing into him, then Paul says, look at me. This is a great challenge to me. Am I able to say to people around me, imitate me as I imitate Christ? Are you able to say this? If you want to see someone who is going after the heart of God, look at me. Are you able to say that to your spouse, if you're married, to your family, to your close friends? Look at me, imitate me. Or do you, like me, often just shrink from saying that because you know that your life probably isn't bearing the fruit that it should do? See, this is the importance of local church membership. This is the sixth mark of a healthy church. Living lives together, covenanted together in the gospel community, committed together to pursuing the fruit of transformation. This is not an individual exercise. This is something we do together. We encourage one another in the word. We push it into each other's hearts and minds and souls. And we encourage one another when there is visible evidence of fruit. And we encourage one another when we are upset with ourselves and we haven't grown as much as we wanted to. We remind each other of the work of Christ. That's the joy of the local church. You don't get that kind of relationship outside the local church. That's why we commit to one another, to walk together, to encourage each other, to pray for one another, to read together. So we've heard of the description, what is discipleship? That continual process of growing, becoming a sapling to becoming an oak. Why should we do it? Because that's the role of the church and because what we do now has an effect in eternity. How are we to do it? Broadly speaking, with the word and in life, through instruction and through imitation. We here at Foundation Church want to be all about creating a culture of discipleship. We want this kind of stuff that we're talking about to be normal for us. Not an abnormal thing reserved for the holy Christians over there, but for the rest of us, we just get to chill. We want to be all about creating a culture of discipleship that sees fruit as the normal response to growing in Christ. Everybody's going to grow different fruit at different times and different places. But grow we will. For to this end, we toil and strive, says Paul, 
because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the saviour of all people, especially of those who believe. Let's pray.